our children could uh, assemble over here for Children's Church, we're going to pray for them. And uh, the teacher this morning, and I get to uh, keep Michael up here, right? Amen. While we pray for our students this morning and our teacher, amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you, Lord God, for children who come to learn about you, Lord. Father, I pray more than just learning about you, Lord God, that this morning they would meet you. Lord, that they would realize their need for you and your grace and their mercy in their lives. Father, we pray for a teacher that you would speak through her into the lives of these, this child, Lord God. Lord, let it be personal because, Lord God, you are a personal God to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. Last week, I started off the sermon by saying, God is good and all the time, amen. Now, this morning, I, I hope you, you felt good leaving this place last week. And, um, you know, it, it, it's always good to come together, amen. But uh, there's an unwritten rule in, in, in churches. And that, that unwritten rule is if you want people to be happy and keep coming back, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about money, and you don't talk about hell. The good news is we're going to save politics and money for another day. The bad news is we're actually going to talk about hell this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up... Um, I was not even actually allowed to say the word hell as a kid. It was H-E double hockey sticks. You remember that? Okay, okay. Um, Y'all with me on it? I, I even feel weird saying hell, even preaching sometimes. I know it's strange, isn't it? It's, it's weird. It's like, it's in the Bible. It's right there. Um, how, how many of you... Remember going to class, uh, now this is going to date me because uh, we had calculators in class and we would take the ca calculators and, and type in, was it 7734, turn it upside down, and it would say, hell. You know, there's, there's a bunch of things that you can do that with with the calculator. Um, <laughs> but um, we're, we're going to save that for another message. Okay. Now the word hell gets gets um, gets thrown around a lot today. Um, one of the worst things that people can say to somebody else is, is, you know, hey, just go to hell. Have you ever had somebody tell you that? Yes, I have. Um, some people say that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. 
When somebody um, cuts you off in traffic, you might give them the, which is WTH, what the, you know, yeah, heck, there we go. I raised my son right. What the heck are you doing, right? And, it, and it's easy to, to laugh a little about a subject, but, but in reality, it's, it's very, very weighty, and it's complicated, and it's a scary idea. And I remember as a kid being really afraid of hell, really afraid of going to hell. And I, I, I think it's still out there, but there's, there's these, these times when, when this traveling play-like thing would go around, and it was, would talk about heaven and hell, and, you know, there's a lot of people who, who get scared. At, how many of you have ever heard of a hell house during Halloween? Do you remember hell houses? Where they would have rooms of, of what would happen to you if you died in sin. And it was to, to scare people into having a relationship with God. As a matter of fact, I remember driving down the street one day over when in Glen Burnie. I was a, a teenager. And the sign out front of the church said, read the Bible. It'll scare the hell out of you. Now what I want to do today is I want to go through Scripture and get a kind of an understanding of hell. And the big question that we're going to answer today is this. Why would a loving God send people to hell? That's a question that people have. Why would a loving God send people to hell? I mean, think about it. You're like, God is love. And... and so you don't know Jesus, so you burn forever. The place where the worm never dies and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound very loving, does it? Does, it, does, does that sound like something that a loving God would do? So this morning, let's talk about hell. Now first of all, hell is a very real place. And if I were the devil, you hear a lot of preachers say that, don't you? If I were the devil, uh, but if I were the devil, I would, first thing I would want to do is, is have people believe that hell is not a real place. I would try to convince them that you don't have to take it seriously. Because if, if, if the devil can convince us not to take it seriously, then you know, maybe you could take other things less seriously. You could live however you wanted to. You, you could justify your sin. You could reject Christ without any fear of God. You could live a ridiculously self-centered life, craving comfort and rejecting sacrifice, avoiding persecution, persecution and loving this world that does not last. Which is honestly what so many people do today. So let's talk about hell. Hell is actually a subject that is found throughout the Bible. 
As a matter of fact, you may not know this, but Jesus talked about hell more than heaven. Jesus talked about hell more than almost any other subject. Which is confusing because Jesus is loving. He's the most loving person ever on earth. And what we have to understand is, when you look about who Jesus was talking to and what he was talking uh, about when he was talking about hell, you'll notice that every time he talked about hell, he wasn't trying to scare unbelievers, unbelievers from hell. He was actually using hell to motivate those who were spiritual to act more spiritual. It wasn't a fear ter- uh, tactic to, to scare people into heaven, but it was a motivating factor for other people because Jesus didn't want people to go to hell. Before we get into Scripture, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you and I thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us through your word. Not to scare us into heaven. But Lord, so that we can have an understanding of how loving you really are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you picked up the notes from this morning because um, there's a lot of scripture that we're going to be going through. You go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. Jesus is speaking here. And he uses a kind of a ridiculous metaphor to keep people from going to hell. It says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Because it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. In other words, if you're lusting all the time, just rip the eyeball out. And you're done. He's just saying, what he's saying is, if something's keeping you from serving God, if something's keeping you from from doing what God wants you to do, Let's just get rid of it. Whatever it is, get rid of it. Throw it away. Because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than it is to be thrown into hell. Now, Jesus did not want anybody going to hell. In fact, the word that Jesus used for hell in Matthew chapter 5 there is translated from a Greek word, Gehenna. And that... uh, That word refers to an actual place on the southwestern corner of the city of Jerusalem known as the Valley of Ben-Hinnon. It's a very interesting valley. I'll give you a little bit of the history for it. Centuries before Jesus, the evil king Ahaz, he worshipped the false god Molech. And he was... 
the way you worshipped Molech was that you would sacrifice your children to Molech. Now, it was really gruesome the way they did this because the, the altar of Moloch was a statue of him with his, like his arms out. And you would literally place your child in the hands of Moloch and then you'd build a fire underneath of it. And you'd sacrifice, be a burnt offering to that false god. In fact, you can read about this in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31. It says, They built in the high places of Topheth in the valley of Ben-Hinnon. This is, this is Jenna uh, or Gehenna. Uh, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire. Jeremiah 7, 31. And if you'll notice today... If, if you go there, you'll find that there's no homes, there's no businesses in the valley because this place is considered cursed and cut off from God. And so nobody would go there because of this, this terrible history of this valley. And because of this history, this place actually became a garbage dump where they would throw their dead animals and, and human waste and their sewage and, and the bodies of executed um, Criminals, And you could, you could imagine how horrendous the smell would be in the smoldering fire. There was a, a fire there that, that, was, that never ever burned out. In fact, this valley was, was often referred to as the, the land of no more. It was a land of no more beauty, no more laughter, no more peace, no more friendship, no more joy, no more hope. It was the, the, the land of no more chances. So when Jesus talked about hell, it wasn't like a dungeon in the basement of heaven where bad people go. No, it was, an actually, it was actually a, a place much worse than that. It was a place that was cut off from everything good. It was cut off from God's presence. You see, in His, he, in, in his essence... What is heaven? Heaven is, is, is where God dwells. It's where the presence of God is. And what is hell? Essentially, hell is the absence of the presence of God. It's a horrible place without anything good. There's nothing good in hell. It's without the presence of God. The land of no more. So that raises a question, why hell? Why would God create or uh, uh, allow a place called hell? Now I'm going to show you two reasons directly from Scripture. The first reason you'll probably be okay with. Hell exists for God to righteously punish Satan. It's the place to punish the prince of darkness. Now, the problem is, and I, I think you'll admit it and agree that our culture today, a lot of times when they think about Satan, when they think about the devil, 
what does they what they do is they visualize this harmless little dude that you know the red red suit and pitchfork and the pointy tail and you know the guy that sits on one shoulder and there's an angel on the other shoulder and you know the devil tell you whisper in your ear you got to do this that's that's got to do that and that's the kind of concept that our our our, our culture thinks of when they think of the devil. You have to understand that Satan is the embodiment of everything evil. Behind every addiction, there's Satan. Behind every abuse, there's Satan. Behind every fear, he gives a spirit of fear, pain, and shame. In, in Scripture, he's called the destroyer, the deceiver, the dark angel, the accuser, the tempter, the wicked one, the thief, the father of lies. Scripture tells us that his mission is that he came to steal, kill, and destroy. You see, he wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your faith. He wants to destroy your health. He wants to ruin your finances. He wants to obliterate your marriage. He wants to kill your kids, your grandkids. That's what the, that's what the father of lies wants to do. And hell is a place for God to righteously punish the embodiment of all evil. In fact, in Revelation chapter 10, verse 20... John shows us this. He says that the devil, the prince of darkness, the dark angel, the accuser who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophets had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Sounds fair, doesn't it? Sounds fair. When you're, when you're in the embodiment of all evil, I, I think that you could, you could say that that should be punished. Now, the next verse that I'm going to read um, to you feels challenging, especially in our culture today. Because let's be honest, the Bible talks about something called sin. And sin, in its essence, is missing the mark. <coughs> missing the mark. That's, that's what this Greek word called hamartia is. It means missing the mark. It's, it means doing something that is not God's will. It's not God's best. It's not God's plan. It's, it's wrong in the eyes of God. So it's doing something wrong. So it's doing something that God tells you not to do. It's also not doing something that God tells you to do. We call that the sin of omission and the sin of commission. You can commit sin and you can not do something right that God tells you to do and it's still a sin. But the culture around us, it doesn't 
like to use that word today. In fact, when it comes to sin, if we're going to even acknowledge that sin exists, people tend to say that God just looks the other way. A God that, you know, there's, the world sees the God say, hey, wink, wink, it's okay. No big deal. As long as nobody gets hurt, what's the big deal? You can't tell me what's right and wrong. Who are who do you think you are to tell me what's right and wrong in my situation? You don't know where I live. You don't know where I'm coming from. That's how we justify it in the world today. But the truth of the matter is, Scripture says that there is a standard. And that standard is holiness. And when we don't hit that standard, we sin. And here's what we have to understand. It's impossible for God to be holy without also being just. Wickedness and evil must be punished. You feel this way when somebody does something wrong, especially if it's toward you. Come on. Somebody wrong you and they end up paying the price for it. You're kind of like, yes, there is justice in this. Right? Am I right? Evil must be punished. It's funny how, okay, the Bible does not, the, the Bible tells us that God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. You know that? God does not rejoice when the wicked die. Now the flip side of that is that when a righteous believer, there's a celebration. When a righteous person dies in the Lord, there's a celebration, there's a homecoming. But the Bible tells us that God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. And yet some reason we do, don't we? Kind of rejoice when, when, the, when the bad guy dies. Even if it's in a movie. Yes. You got it coming to him. You got it. Why? Because we know down deep in our hearts that wickedness needs to be punished. And the second reason that hell exists, and this is difficult for us to understand, because it kind of hits us when we realize that we are all sinners, is it exists for God to righteously punish evil. And, and, and the truth is, hell would be for all of us who have sinned, who have died without Christ. Those who have sinned and died without Christ. And Paul tells us this very, very clearly. He tells us that there's... This is where it is. Paul tells us that God, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, says God will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will be punished with everlasting destruction. 
They will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Not living the way and obeying the gospel of Christ will be punished. And what is hell? It's the absence of anything good. It's the absence of God. It's as they will be punished by being shut out from the presence of the Lord. Now that's harsh and that's painful. It's not fun. I don't like to talk about it. It it brings me no joy to talk about it. But if we don't accept the reality of hell, we'll never appreciate the depth of God's goodness and His grace. God is good. He is so good. And this is about the time of the message where it gets heavy. So I'm going to tell you a story. This is a story that Jesus told. Are you ready for a little bit of a story? It's not a good story. I'm going to show you the story in Luke's Gospel. Chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 13. It's a little bit long, but... It's a very interesting story. It says, Jesus says this. He tells this story. And before I tell it, number one, some people think that this is a parable. But it's not. This story is not a a parable. It's a story that Jesus told to explain a, a spiritual truth using everyday example. This story, I believe, is a true story. Number one, because it talks about real places. Number two, it talks about an actual person. And Jesus names that person. So I believe this is something that Jesus knew actually really happened. And it's verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus said this, there was a rich man. He was dressed in in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. I want to stop here for a moment. I want want you to acknowledge that, that this dude was like massively rich. We know he's massively rich because he was wearing purple, and he was dressed in linen. Okay, in other words, to wear purple, he probably had some form of royalty because the dye for purple was was so expensive. Only the, the rich could wear purple. The other thing is, is he wore linen. Okay, he wore wore like a like a, a cotton fabric. I don't I don't know about you but but you know, they, well, back then they didn't have all the, the textiles that we have today. A lot of people wore like camel hair, burlap sack type stuff. Their, their clothes were rough. It wasn't linen. One, com- one commentary said that a, a nice linen, uh, a nice piece of linen, linen 
would be sold for uh, enough wages to pay for someone's food for a year. So think about this. This, this guy, he's rich, he's wearing purple, and he's li- wearing linen. He has a massive wealth. Verse 20 says, At the gate of this rich guy was a beggar. He was a poor, a poor man named Lazarus. Now this Lazarus was not the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. He's a, he's a different Lazarus. But this guy was in bad shape. This, this poor beggar was, Scripture said, Jesus said that he was covered in sores. He said he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Man, this guy was in bad shape. He was hungry. This guy's outside, and he's, 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 he's begging for anything that he could get. He's even getting, he's saying just, just even the crumbs from the table that the dogs would eat. Come on now. You know, all of you who have dogs, you know, you scrap to the dogs. Back then, you know, dogs, dogs weren't as, like, like they are now, okay? They, they weren't as domiciled as they are now. But that's what they feed their dog. The dogs were like guard dogs. Verse 22 says, The time came when this, this beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died. Notice that the rich man just died. Of course, if you read in Scripture, it says that he buried him. He put him in a grave. The rich man buried did nothing. Scripture says that the angels came to Lazarus and carried him to Abraham's side. We, we, we also know that as Abraham's bosom. Okay? Scripture said that that this, this, this guy, the rich man, was carried to Hades. Hades is known as the place of the dead or the place of punishment. So this, you've got this poor guy in Abraham's bosom. You have this rich guy in a place called Hades. Scripture says, in Hades, where the rich man was, in torment... Hades and Abraham's bosom. Paradise. And they're holding places of the dead. And they're separated by a great gulf, a great chasm between them. There's no way you can get from one to the other. Okay? And this rich guy is hurting. He's in pain. He sees Abraham on the other side, far off, the scripture says, and with Lazarus by his side. And so what's he do? He calls out, Father Abraham, have pity on me, please, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, because I am in agony because of this fire. He's in agony. He's in pain. He's being tortured. He's saying, somebody please give me some kind of relief from this suffering. 
Now, the, the next part is very emotional. The rich guy says, I, thought, I, I beg you, please send Lazarus. Send the beggar. Send him back from the dead. Because I don't want my, my family. I have five brothers. And let him warn them so that they also will, will not come to this place of torment. Of course, the reply was that even if somebody comes back from the dead, they won't believe. The truth of the matter is, Jesus did come back from the dead, and there's a whole lot of people who don't believe. But here's Lazarus, or here's the rich man. He's going, Would you please go tell someone that doesn't know that I don't want them to come here? I don't want them to come here, and I'm going to show you four lessons from the other side of this. The first lesson is this. The rich man, he was conscious and aware. He had his memory. He was full of regrets. He knew exactly where he was and why he was there. He wasn't sleeping. The second truth is this. The rich man's eternity was irrevocably fixed. He couldn't change it. It was too late. He was in the land of no more chances. The third truth is this. He knew that his suffering was just. He knew it was fair. How do we know that? He complained about the pain, but he never complained about the injustice. Get that. He said, man, this is horrible. Please help me. But he didn't say, man, this place, I shouldn't be here. Uh, somebody made a mistake. This is not where I'm supposed to, supposed to be when I die. He didn't say that. This rich guy in the middle of, of his agony, in the middle of his suffering. He knew that if his brothers didn't make different choices, that they would be there too. So the fourth thing, the fourth thing is this. The rich man begged and pleaded for somebody to help his brothers. Somebody go tell my brothers not to live like I live. Don't come to this place. I'm sure that there are people in hell who wish that they could tell their family members that, that the truth about Jesus is right. That Jesus did die for them. And they need to avoid hell by trusting in Jesus. So if I were the deceiver, the destroyer, destroyer the prince of darkness, the father of lies... What I would do is I would try to convince you that hell is either not real or it's not a big deal. I would try to get you to not take it seriously. 
That way you could easily justify your sinfulness. You could reject Christ, not taking him seriously, living in no fear of God, living a ridiculously self-centered life, craving comfort, rejecting sacrifice, avoiding persecution, and loving this world. Exactly like people are living today. And so when Jesus talked about hell, he wasn't trying to scare bad people into heaven. He wanted to to motivate those who were believers to act like they were believers. Because a lot of people would say, well, it's still not fair that good people go to hell. It's not fair that good people would suffer. But just like I said last week, we need to talk about it again because we need to understand that in the purest essence, we are not good. We're all messed up. We've all sinned. Every single one of us, Scripture says, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned. That includes you and me. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. Now some of you say, no, I'm a good person. I've got a good heart, so let's play a little game. You ready? Raise your hand. I'm serious. Raise your hand if you've ever lied. Raise it up. Leave it up. We've all lied. We've all lied. You can put your hand down. Okay. Raise your hand. Don't worry about it. Don't raise your hand for this one. You you y'all know if you've stolen anything. I'm going to give you a pass on on that. Raise your eyebrows if you've ever lusted. Okay? So when Jesus talks about lust, he said, if you've ever looked lustfully, men, if you've ever looked at it, Jesus said specifically men, but come on, women, women can lust too. That's why there are those fireman calendars out there. (laughs) We all laugh about it, but Jesus said this, if you look at another person lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. See, you've heard it said that adultery is bad, and it is. But Jesus said, now I'm going to take it a step further. If you've ever lusted after somebody, you've committed adultery in your heart. So essentially, if you've lied, if you've ever stolen, stolen anything, and if you've, if you've ever lusted, I think it was Ray Comfort who said this. He said, you're a lying, thieving adulterer. Yes, welcome to Middle River Assembly of God. We're not good, but God is good. 
He's holy and he's just. And because he is just, he must punish sin. But here's the thing. He's not just just. He's also love. That's what he is. That's not just what he does. It's who he is. Okay? Scripture shows us in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, and you've heard me say this verse so many times, I hope you haven't memorized. This is, I, I think this just, I love this verse so much. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The next verse says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? I like the way that the NIV or the uh, New Living Translation puts it. But God showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still stealing, lying, stealing, and cheating. Christ came to die for us. New Living Translation translates that next verse. And since we've been made right with God in his sight by the blood of Christ. Not by our righteous works or our religious works or our own righteousness. But because of the, the grace of God brought to us through the blood of Jesus. That we are made right in God's sight because of the blood of Christ. He says he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Scripture tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of the death of Jesus, he paid the price for our sin satisfying God's justice and at the same time displaying his amazing grace with unquenchable love or unquenchable love. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the one that doesn't want to send anyone to hell. He wants no one to perish. Who did he came, come for? He come for? He came for sinners. Not righteous ones. He came for the sick. Not the healthy. He came for those who were hurting and broken. And those who fell far from God. And those who fell short. And those who lied. And those who lusted. Those who stolen things. Those who cheated. Those who, who, who envy and those who are dead in their sins. That's who Jesus came for. That's the grace of Jesus. And, and 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 shows us the heart of God. This verse says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. 
talking about the, the return of Christ. Well, it's been almost over 2,000 years. Where are you God being slow? No. The Bible is not said, is saying that he is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he is being patient with you. He is working on us. He's been waiting for you. He's been loving you. He's been reaching out for you. He's been sending people your way. He's been drawing you by His Spirit and by His grace and by His goodness. Oh, He's been so patient. Why is He patient? Because our God, as the Scripture says, that same Scripture says, God is not wanting anyone to to perish. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. That's why a loving God does not send people to hell. He sent Jesus to save us from hell. It's very clear. The devil came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb, the Prince of Peace, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. When you have Jesus, you have side effects. There are side effects of love and joy and peace And the presence of a good God. Jesus came that you might have life. That's why with every fiber in my being, I want you to know Him. I want you to know how good He is. That even though we've been dirty and wrong and sinful, He still loves you. Just like you are. And that's how much he loves you. He didn't come just just to keep you out of hell. But he came to give you life. Eternal life. That's how good he is. And God wants you to experience that grace and that goodness. He doesn't want you to worry about your eternity. Not even to struggle and worry in this life. To come to a place of full surrender, full submission, trusting that Jesus is enough. That His presence will sustain you. That His grace carries you. That when you're hurting, He can give you a peace from heaven that you can't even explain. And even when you fall back into that, the... The, the sin, His grace covers your sin because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so what I want to do, I want you to take eternity, eternity seriously. The presence of God in heaven or the absence of God in hell. It changes the way you think about today because you are not just living for today. 
The devil wants to take that from you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to kill and destroy you. But Jesus came with something better. He came to give you the presence of God. He came to give you life. So Father, today, we ask in the name of Jesus that this truth would spread across the hearts of everyone listening to this. And that we would experience your goodness today. Those who are here at church, those who are watching online, even those who are hearing this podcast, Lord God, let us feel your presence. Thank you, Lord. Some of you, I'm guessing that you're like me, that the weight of the present moments, the the problems that are before me, the challenges uh, of people that I have to deal with, everything that I have to do, oftentimes it robs me of the reality of eternity. And there's a lot of times when I don't think about what's eternal. But the truth is, when I think about it, it changes the way that I live today. And if you find yourself often being consumed by what's in front of you, but forgetting what lasts forever and what you want is the presence of God to help you live today in a way that would impact eternity. If you want to live that way, if you want to live the way that you would change the way you live today, because you're thinking about eternity, if that's you today, I want you to pray. That God would put eternity in our hearts. That God would bring eternity to our minds. And that would change our priorities and change how we treat people and change what we do with our stuff. And it changes how we feel about stuff. And it changes about what we worry about and what we don't worry about. It changes how we forgive. It changes how we live. And if you're a follower of Jesus today and you want the reality of eternity to change how you live today, we're going to ask God to make that a reality. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. God, change the way I think about eternity. Father, I would pray and I would hope that everyone who is a follower of Jesus would have this cry come out of their hearts today. Just just like the rich man saying that, hey, I want somebody to go help my brothers. God, give us an urgency to share the love of Jesus. Help us, Lord God, just to feel the urgency of the matter. 
Father, so many times we, we talk about everything else. We'll even talk about politics and money to people. But we never bring up eternity. Lord, help us to think about eternity. Not just our eternity. Lord, but the eternity of everybody that we pass. Every time we pass somebody, Lord God, we pass a soul that is on its way to eternity. Keep praying. Because I want you to think if there's someone in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus and there's someone that that you, in your life that you know is not a follower of Jesus. I want you to whisper that name right now in prayer. Just now. Take them before God and say, God, use me. Use someone. Draw this person to know Jesus. Help me be a witness. Help me be a light. God, help me to be so surrendered to you that what's temporary doesn't drive my actions, but God may my heart be motivated motivated by what is eternal. God, change how we think. Change how we love. Give us a passion to share the love of Jesus in all that we do. Now, some of you might be here watching us or listening to this. And if your life ended sooner than later, you'd spend eternity somewhere. And the last thing I want to do is use hell as a motivator to try to scare you into becoming a follower of Jesus because that's not what Jesus did. But I would like to put the reality of eternity in front of you and and say, what do you think? Do you want to stand before God based on your own merits? on your own works, your own righteousness, or do you want to trust in the perfect work of the Son of God and His righteousness? See, God loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, perfect in every way to die on the cross. And He was raised from the dead. So whoever knows Him, experiences Him, your sins will not be counted against you. There is no condemnation. You are set free. Jesus paid the price, and the devil wants to take that from you. But Jesus came that you could have life. The truth is, we're just a step step away from eternity. And if you want that life in Jesus, just turn to him. You want his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness to say, today I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Those of you who are online, just let us know you want to give your life to Jesus.
But would you simply pray this prayer with those around you? Just pray out loud. Pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. Save me. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus came, died on the cross in my place, was buried in the grave, but is now resurrected to new life. God, I accept that. Forgive me of my sins and help me walk the way you want me to walk, to love the way you want me to love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, I pray for those who accepted you as their Savior this morning. Lord, I pray that you would give them a desire to read your word. Give them a desire to be in your house to learn about you and then tell others about what you have done in their life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Those of you who are watching us online or hearing the podcast, if you need anything, you can get a hold of us. If you live on the eastern side of Baltimore County, come and join us. We're in Middle River. All of our contact information is, is there. If you don't live in this area, you can't join us. We can help you find a great church that you can go to. Amen, church? Amen. Praise God. So before we leave, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for each person that is here, each person that has heard this or watched this, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, as we leave this place, Lord, we would spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that our actions would draw others to you, Lord God, and give glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.